Hello, friends. Thanks for joining me today. My name is Carl Sterling, and I'm coming at you from the Syracuse, New York area. Today, I have a guest on my program, somebody who I've known for a few years now. Um, his name is Dr. Joseph Berry, and he's he also has a radio show here in the area, which you can't, can catch on uh, 570 WSYR. It's still at noon to one, right on Sundays. That's right, Carl. It's right now the first Sunday of the month. First Sunday of the month. Okay, great. I'm thinking about going back to weekly. Great, great. Well, Dr. Berry, first of all, thanks for taking the time and joining me today. It's good to see you. Thank you, Carl. Great. Yeah, my connection here is a little rough here. Can you hear me okay? Carl, good to see you. Zombie. Great, good. Yeah, it's good to be home. No more travel. So, uh, Dr. Barry, we've you. I love your radio show. First of all, thank you. Bring you. Up, you bring up some great topics, and uh, your thought process and your approach to things is intriguing me. Which is one of the reasons I wanted to uh, get you on here and start, you know, talking and share some of your insights. Uh, so you are, let's see, preventive medicine and internal medicine. Tell me. Uh, where, where do the roots go back to as far as wanting to be a doctor or knowing that I'm going to be a doctor? Well, that's uh, My father was a doctor, and so people always assumed I would go back, I would go in that trade. I was one of six kids, and my sister's a doctor as well, and I have a brother, a lawyer, but that, we try not to hold that against him. So uh, I never really, I wanted to do something that would meld science and dealing with people, because I like science and I like dealing with people uh, and I was looking for something that would meld those two together and it wasn't I think until halfway through uh, Cornell undergrad that I said you know I think I could I could do pre-med I could do something in medicine who knows and then it wasn't until I was almost finished with that residency that I asked my dad to join him again here in Syracuse where I practiced for you know 30 years until my eyes were opened up and uh, I changed my practice completely. And that was a book that had the audacity to suggest the outrageous concept that diet was the chief determinant of your health. And that just blew my mind. Because yeah. unfortunately, all of my doctor colleagues are, have been trained and continue to be trained in such a small, even people that do primary care and think, well, we handle everything, you know, from acne to uh, the pustular psoriasis. But the fact is, they evaluate it, and then they give you either a diagnosis, uh, some procedure, or some therapy, typically medicine. And my profession just got blindfolded to the idea, well, wait a second, what's the cause? And if you go to your rheumatologist today and ask, what's the cause of lupus or Lyme disease, they're going to say, I got no it's inflammation. That's all I know. It's inflammation. Maybe there's genes involved. I have no idea, but I do know how to diagnose it, and I do know how to give you pills for it. That didn't satisfy me anymore. And when the, when it, when the I read a book that said, no, no, I've proven a thousand times that by modifying the diet, you can modify not only people's appreciation of their health, but also these very important markers. You could make a person with lupus have that lupus go away. You could have a person with rheumatoid arthritis, ulcerative colitis, Crohn's disease, all proven by separate pathologists and 
blood, and then have it all normalized by uh, changing the diet. So that's completely what, what transformed my practice. And I'm not really sure. Um, I mean, I try and give this information to other doctor friends of mine, and they really don't accept it. It's not their business. They weren't trained that way. So I, I try and I struggle mightily to say nice things about my profession because we're in trouble. We continue to just treat, I think it was Steve Jobs that said, treatment is doomed to fail. And if the computer guy knows it, why don't doctors know it? Mm. Well, first of all, I, I'm so glad you went into that right off because that's exactly what I really wanted to get to because I know this about you, especially from a radio show. So I applaud you for your work and your change there. Um, now, I'm not a doctor, but I have countless books I'm reading all the time about, you know, uh, diet, diet affecting everything. Diet is the root of inflammation, the root of disease, the root of this and that. And I think the data is pretty much out there. That's the real stuff. I mean, that we can make so many changes with diet. Um, so this is so great to have you doing this and going down that pathway because now we can get to the, get to the bottom of things a lot of times and make some changes. Maybe I love how uh, the lupus can go away. Type 2 diabetes, that can go away too from what I understand. Is that correct? There are now uh, websites you can up for uh, on the Internet that will help each individual person adjust their particular diet. And you have this, you know, this service on a regular basis. You can get rid of all your diabetic medicines. Wow. I believe that most diabetics, if they just could make this transformation and start to restrict carbohydrates in an important way, they have to understand that sugar is an addiction, that uh, we're trained to want sugar. Sugar was super seasonal, and now it's year-round. We have summer 24-7 at the yeah. Walmarts and Wegmans, and it's just too much for us. And Again, doctors have lots to blame because we told the public, going all the way back to Ainsley Keys, that uh, carbohydrates were bad, uh, sorry, that fats were bad, and that therefore eliminate fats from our diet. And when we did that, our, uh, our health deteriorated just as much as our ancestors' health deteriorated when they started incorporating grain into their diet you know, the so-called Neolithic Revolution. People say, oh, we've had grains for 10,000 years. And I go, precisely. We've had grains for 10,000 years, and all that time the bones have gotten smaller or weaker. It's not me. All the um, people that specialize in this talk about this, they may argue over what the what, um, I was primarily vegetarian or carnivore or omnivore, but none of them argue over the fact that when we started incorporating grains and domesticating animals, that our overall health declined, at least as far as the fossil record can tell us. And we're well, doing the is, same thing now with sugar. We got rid of tobacco by pricing the heck out of it, at least in part. And again, my profession, when the Surgeon General, after 10 years and 3,000 articles saying smoking was bad, when the Surgeon General came out with that idea, you know, we should put a warning on, on cigarettes. The AMA, my professional organization, said, hold on now, that's, that's just one talking. That we, he doesn't speak for us. Oh, so uh, I'm afraid that my profession has gone array and it's taken the public with it. We've told people, uh, you know, eat comfort foods, um, that carbohydrate. We've told people milk and cereal is breakfast. And unfortunately, nothing could be farther from the truth. Wow, man. I'll tell you, um, 
Yeah, the, this kind of stuff actually really turns me on in a way. It excites me. It gets my my wheels thinking. Uh, you know, I was I, I actually first met you at your house when I was doing a little gig there in your backyard with Marco Pani. So this yeah, that goes way back. This has got to be 10, 15 years ago. At least 10 yeah. years ago. Yeah. Down in Lafayette or somewhere like that, I think, right? So anyways, we're, we're there and uh, we... I think we did a couple years in a row there and I saw you here and there at different things. Um, so I was, this is, sometimes I lose my train of thought. So I was a musician. That's my, that was my gig. And then I had gained a lot of weight. So fast forward uh, when I was 70 pounds heavier and my doctor told me who's since retired, you've got to get your act together, man, and start changing a lot of stuff, your diet, this and that, well, exercise. So, Gradually, that got me into the uh, fitness, the world of fitness and training. I decided I felt so good. Maybe I could help people to feel good by training them. Then uh, a couple of years into that, like nine years ago, I went to SU for nutrition. I should be careful what I say here because I actually work at SU now. <laughs> well, I'm not working because of COVID, but I will work there again. I'd say the nutrition program is what to, you could expect from most nutrition programs in most colleges. And they're not going into much of this that you're talking about here. But I did learn by reaching outside more that, wow, man, there's some stuff we can do to really change uh, our bodies. I, I don't mean to talk about me too much, but I just want to tell one story that how diet changed everything for me. And this is about eight years ago. I was chronic upper respiratory infections all the time, two and a half years of it. I cut out. Wheat, uh, grains, gluten, just for fun, just to try it, alcohol, all dairy. In a week, I was breathing through both nostrils at the same time. That never happened. And a month later, I was 10 pounds lighter. About month, two and a half months later, I was 20 pounds lighter. And I had energy. And that's, that got me reading a lot of these books. And that's where, uh, I don't know how long you've been doing that radio show. How many years has it been now? It's been a while. Three or four now. Okay. Yeah, at some point in the game, somebody told me about the show and I tuned in. So diet is, it seems like, I know in my work with people with movement disorders and all these conferences that I've been to and spoken at and teaching I've done, uh, they talk a lot about inflammation in the gut, the balls, is is maybe traveling up the vagus nerve and manifesting into a problem in the brain. Um, so there we go with diet again, causing a lot of issues. Tell, tell me more. I'm, I'd love to know more. For example, um, do you mind sharing the name of the book that changed how you were thinking about things? Yeah. Uh, the book in particular was called uh, the plant paradox by Dr. Stephen Gundry. And he, you know, again, I wasn't, trained to think that way and it embarrasses me to say that but the concept that a tomato for instance or that the corn plant you know which seems so healthy and natural would not want to be eaten by me you know squirrels can run away deer sure as heck can but plants can't go anywhere they have to have their own defense mm -hmm. we talked to nutritionists and they you know the when i interviewed here in skinny atlas lovely lady and we agreed about uh, many things, including um, the, the importance of the microbiome. But as far as she was concerned, if it came out of the ground, it was good for you. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I just said that I don't think that, I think the evidence says that it's not true. 
certainly, and there's a fabulous researcher also from Cornell, Sally Norton, and you've got to track her down oh. because she talks about oxalates. And as Dr. Gundry talks about lectins, these components of plants that our ancestors and therefore are the bugs in our, our gut own cells are not used to dealing with our immune system, that there are plants, so people will tell me, well, you know, every time I have spaghetti sauce, I get indigestion. And, I, and therefore, I take a Prilosec or a Pepsid. I tell them, you're an idiot. Uh, every time you have something that you eat that you eat that bothers you, you write it down. You don't eat that again. It's your body. It, your stomach can't send you a text message. Your stomach doesn't have an asterisk. <laughs> it's, this is, you don't eat me. And instead, as because we're arrogant Americans, we say, no, no, I'm going to eat that stuff. Even though I know it bothers me, then I'm going to take a pill afterwards to try and make it right. It cannot make it right. So. Uh, sure, microbiome is incredibly important. We're only now starting to understand it. I think we're going to have diseases treated by fecal transplant, just as we give people a, a pill for headache or uh, a pill for weight loss. I think instead, give them frozen stool from super super fit people that will recolonize their colon and their small intestine and fundamentally change their health. I, I think the food eating, the Motrin we're taking, the Prilosec, the all these pills we're shoveling down our gut have an adverse effect, including the fact that it's all been doused with glycophate, you know, Roundup, which also... Oh, boy. There you go. ...to your pathways in the gut, so, you you know, you're not taking tryptophan and making serotonin. It's a mess in there. And when we put more and more chemicals, people are... Uh, thank God they put the stop on those um, Girl Scout cookies. There's absolutely nothing healthy in a Girl Scout cookie. There's nothing natural about it. You can put a Girl Scout cookie and an Oreo uh, and probably a Big Mac on the countertop and have them undisturbed for decades. A real food, you know, erodes, deteriorates. Yeah. That right. stuff doesn't. Right. And I used to, like all doctors, I used to think at the, at the organ level, well, how's your brain? How's your stomach? How's your heart? How's your kidneys? And now with the help of doctors like Dr. Sherry Rogers, I've learned, no, no, you've got to get down at the molecular level. If insulin isn't right, if uh, the omega-3 and omega-6 ratio of the oils in your body isn't right, how can you possibly carry on the chemical processes to get an optimum result? And I look at everyone now walking around as big, gushy bags of chemical reactions. And if you're drinking soda, how, how is that possibly going to aid the chemical reactions in your body? So when I tell people they've got to get better and healthier, I tell them, you know, you don't have to automatically adopt. I don't recommend the Gundry diet because it's a super aggressive diet, particularly designed for the sickest amongst us. But, but anyone can take it. Uh, auto, autoimmune diet or anti-inflammatory diet. And as you said, they're going to have the same components. No alcohol, no sugar, no wheat, no dairy, uh, you know, cut down the processed foods. That's a great start. But for people that get overwhelmed by that, I tell them, okay, just quit the soda. Just stop soda. I don't care if it's regular soda with the deadly-to-man high-fructose syrup or whether it's artificial soda with the deadly-to-man NutraSweet. Uh, right. None of that's good for you. Uh, now that I'm, and, and I was a recovered addict. I started every day with a Diet Coke and went to bed at night with a Diet Coke. Mm -hmm. uh, when the Boy Scouts used to do bottle drives, they would just stop at my house. And I would have enough bags and bottles of that. That was it. Go, here you go, boys. See you next month. Yeah, right. Now that I'm reformed, I look at that. 
when people put glass, they go, Heck, what are you eating that's black? What are you drinking that's black? Stop it. So yeah. I think that we have a long way to go. And why some people believe that the coronavirus is going to be very bad in America because our fundamental health at the molecular level is so terrible. We eat so much crap that uh, how can you possibly expect this situation to work well under strain? It's like looking at a cinder block wall. It should be 90% block and 20%, 10% mortar. Right. But imagine if that wall was 50-50. Well, in, your, in the individual cells in your body, these alive, electrically and electronically charged cells, you know, they have these membranes, these fat membranes, bilipid membranes, that are supposed to have a certain ratio, one-to-one one of omega-3 and omega-6, with a little omega-9 thrown in. But uh, instead, the ratio is one to two. When your thyroid hormone tries to see that cell and work it's working through this distorted architecture when the insulin attaches to the cell when the calcium which is when the magnesium attaches when vitamin c attaches when things try to attach to the cell when sugar attaches it's working in, a, in an altered environment it can't be optimum and that's what we've done to ourselves and the only answer is we've got to change what we're eating and we knew this and the ancient greeks knew it hippocrates said all disease begins in the gut yeah yeah it's so powerful and it's been so overlooked for so long you know part of my uh i don't have any data for this you you i'm sure you know about this it seems like a lot of this changed back in the early 70s mid 70s with wasn't there some decision and by i don't know if it was nixon or somebody who uh sign something into legislation and maybe that's when the the carbs became the thing and fats were no good and then we got into the sugar thing and carbs forever. It was, in fact, they had a nutritional committee in Washington, and mm -hmm. I think it was uh, McGovern, or maybe it was McCarthy, one of them that said, uh, we need some facts. We need to give recommendations to the American people. And the scientists at the panel said, we don't have the facts yet. And Ansel Keys, made famous by K-rations during you know, the war, went to Europe and studied uh, a bunch of countries and measured saturated fat and, mort and mortality from heart disease. And he found the correlation. The higher the saturated fat, the more heart disease. And he came back and brought that to um, the American uh, educated system. And therefore, we, uh, he came, the committee said, avoid saturated fats. Well, when we, we look at that data again and look at a bigger data set, he actually looked at 14 or 15 countries. And the opposite was true in many countries. Fr France has a very high saturated fat rate and as a very low heart disease, despite the fact that they smoke like fiends. Uh, this was shown in country after country. There is no correlation with saturated fat and heart disease. And this then perpetuates the myth that cholesterol is bad for you. This chemical, which is in breast milk, which the brain has to have, it makes its own cholesterol. The brain has four fats, arachidonic acid, cholesterol, uh, EPA, and DHA, two omega-3 essential fats. So it has to have uh, cholesterol. And yet cholesterol, some, from some early studies in Framingham, was vilified. And the, the effort's been made to lower cholesterol in almost every American since then. And your doctor doesn't even look at you. He looks at a piece of paper. Oh, your cholesterol's 240. Without looking at you, he's reaching for the prescription. Wow. Take this medicine for the rest of your life. Never stop it. And if it has a side effect, well, we'll give you some other medicine for the side effect. We've got to get your number down. Not we have to improve your health. We've got to get your number. Mm -hmm. That 
you can't talk today about cholesterol. I tell them, look at the, look at the great works of Dr. Malcolm Kendrick in England. He wrote uh, a great book, The Cholesterol Con. He wrote Statin. He wrote Doctoring Data. Fantastic observer of the fact that doctors are not great with statistics. And we have been influenced by the big pharma to prescribe, prescribe, prescribe. And I think that statins are way overused. And I think that the rationale for statin use is very limited, uh, certainly in primary prevention. If you've already had a heart, then there's possibly a role for statin. And certainly no one listening to me should stop taking their medicines without their blah, blah, etc. But anyone who looks at the cholesterol issue realizes uh, that it's, it, that it's, a, it's a hoax. In fact, the most recent study called the NHANES study was a huge epidemiological study all across America, of all across America. And it asked people questions about their diet. How many bananas did you eat in the last week? How much cereal did you eat? And I was with you, that information is complete garbage. No one can be, no one can recall it a week ago. I can barely let you know what I had for dinner last night, not right. three nights ago. Yeah. I don't trust any of that. And, you know, that's when you get the coffee's good for you, bananas are bad for you. That literature, that epidemiology literature is terrible. But the NHANES data is linked to a data bank that links the person's cholesterol to their, to their death. So this one researcher looked and said, okay, I don't care about any other data. I just want to look at the cholesterol rate and the rate of death. Mm-hmm. And he, so he did so. And he found that for people over the age of 50, the higher your cholesterol, the lower your death rate. The lower your death rate from heart disease and the lower your death rate for uh, cancer in particular. So the high cholesterol over the age of 50 is protective. I see so many people in their 80s who've never had a problem with their heart, uh, be, especially in the nursing home with dementia, taking these drugs. We are a pill-popping nation. Most people over 50 are on five to nine medications, and they just keep... And, and it's like a trained seal. They're just open up and take another one. Well, my blood pressure is not good. Okay, give me another pill. No, no, wait a second. Your, your blood pressure was good when you were younger and healthier. What have you done wrong to raise your blood pressure? What's out of what? As Linus Pauling has said, and Sherry Rogers reiterates, all disease comes from some deficiency of one thing or an X other. I mean, that's all anything that's out of system can be. And you and doctors, unfortunately, are not trained to think that way. What's the symptom? Here's a way to cover the symptom up, which is why our healthcare system is in uh, complete disarray. We spend, what, 17% of our gross domestic product on healthcare, and we wait lower, we, what are we, 43 in mortality and overall healthcare satisfaction. Terrible. The amount of money we spend, you should, everyone should have their own private doctor and have a nurse coming to their house and check on them weekly. Right, right. But if they did, I'd want that nurse to go to, to their kitchen cabinets and get rid of all the cereal and get rid of all the grain-based products and start getting some, uh, you know, more basic nutritional stuff. But even there, you can have a problem. As Sally Norton points out, you can have people that are, that are eating complete vegetarian, eating super healthy and poisoning themselves, not by lectins, as Dr. Gundry talks about, but by these naturally occurring substances called oxalates, which are found like in spinach, uh, rhubarb, kiwi, and uh, like collard greens. Now, I don't eat much of those, but I know a lot of healthy people that say, oh, that stuff's great for you. But in excess, that builds up this four carbon 
compound in your body and produces a myriad of elements. So even people that are trying to eat healthy, unless they really have help going through the subject, can feel badly, which is why I don't laugh at people that do the carnivore diet. So I listen to the vegetarians, I, and I understand them. I listen to people that they think that plants are dangerous. I understand them. But I certainly understand the people that do carnivore, because although that's a sustain in the long run, if you have inflammation, if you don't feel well, the only way to prove that that some plant of is a cause is to get rid of all plants. And I've known people that have really improved their health dramatically by doing that. Again, I don't think that's an ideal long-term diet, but it's an absolutely logical diet short-term. And I haven't put anyone in the hospital with that diet. I haven't put anyone in the hospital on the keto diet or a low-carb diet. I haven't admitted a single person to the hospital with intermittent fasting. And yet I, we are putting people in America today every day in the hospitals with suffering from the standard American diet. And that is so-called poisoning. And when they go in the hospital, what do we do? We give them hospital food, which is worse. Oh, yeah. I, sign, I see the sign in the elevator at my hospital, the power of food. I myself, God, they're finally starting to get it. Then I look at the menu. It's a breakfast pizza. It's pecan pie. It's custard. I said, this is, you're poisoning my people. You look at the uh, machines that they have, the vending machines in all of the local hospitals. Yeah. What are they vending? A Gatorade, uh, Mountain Dew, Doritos. No, if it ends in an O, Dorito, Oreo, Cheeto, Frito, you probably should think twice. Have it on your birthday. And the whole yeah. concept, you know, you go to Denny's, they have these you know, mild, a stack of pancakes. It's a cake, for God's sakes. Is it your birthday? If you put a candle on it, let's blow it out. If it's not, you shouldn't be eating that crap. But yet, people tell me it's cheap and it tastes good. And I tell them, and I line, pay the more now or pay the doctor more later. And hey, we have plenty of doctors to take your money. Come on. Come on in. Who's next? Yeah, yeah. So this just brings up a lot of thoughts. I'm, I, my, I'll just mention, again, my son's a doctor in Atlanta. I know that when he went to med school, he had one class for one semester on nutrition. That was it. Now, he's gone off and done his own research, and, you know, he knows a lot more than your average MD about nutrition. Um, and I'm glad because he'll advise people. But uh, it seems like besides the training that you don't get in medical school still about an actual healthy uh, dietary lifestyle, um, Big Pharma plays a big role, I would say, right? And then what about the insurance companies? Are they dictating anything about, um, you know, are you, are you, this gets into a little more of the business side combined with the care side, but is there a protocol you have to follow to, you know, lessen the uh, malpractice lawsuits or anything like that? Because, well, I should have gotten this pill and every other doctor will give it to me, but you won't. And... Uh, how much of a role does insurance play in this for you? Well, insurance plays the same role it always has. Big farmers play the same role. In fact, less role. They used to be able to take you out to dinner and maybe, you know, teach yeah. you a little game of golf. That's all gone. Yeah. They, we can't even get pens from them. Uh, if I worked as a um, concrete manufacturer, I could go to Puerto Rico with the Concrete Association, but not as a doctor. That's fine. I don't, that's not, but um, big pharma and and big insurance are crazy. I don't know if they're working together, but they certainly aren't trying to advance the cause of patient care. The insurance companies make us go through uh, ridiculous rituals. Like for instance, if you have knee pain, there's no way your regular x-ray is gonna show me 
why you're having knee pain or shoulder pain. Uh, I need an MRI for those two joints. I always need an MRI. And, but the insurance companies say, no, you have to do the regular x-ray first. It doesn't matter what the results are. The yeah. results could be anything from perfectly normal to obvious bone cancer. Either way, they're still going to pay for the MRI. Mm-hmm. Now, I guess they assume that some doctors are just going to say to the patients, oh, forget the whole thing. But I can't do that. And I don't think any doctor working to do that. So the insurance companies don't tell me what I have to do. They just tell me what order I have to do it in. And sometimes they try and limit the medicines. But that's what, again, that's why doctor burnout is so high, because there are so many different forms, so many things I should just be able to sign. And this is the way it should be, have to be reviewed by a nurse and then by a nurse manager and then maybe by a doctor. So the health factor in medicine has never been higher. When you go to your doctor, unfortunately, I cannot convince my colleagues to get a scribe. Uh, That is, have someone else enter the data for you. You did not train to have your face in front of a computer and typing away while the person's telling you their life story. You know, that's ridiculous. It's, there are things you must have from eye contact. Uh, Hire a person to do that because that's what they're best at and free you to perform a type of function. You know, how does a doctor differentiate himself from a nurse practitioner or a PA? He's supposed to have better knowledge or more in-depth knowledge, hopefully more um, uh, experience. You're not putting that into play when you're typing stuff in front of the computer. So I tell doctors, you've got to, you've got to make a change. You don't have to necessarily make less money. By using Scribe, you're going to improve your uh, happiness, and that's going to improve your ability to do your job right. And it's going to make people happier, too. So you'll never see, uh, I think, a, a modern doctor should not have his hand on a computer. And that's another problem with our profession. I can't. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's interesting. Uh, well, first of all, when your name comes up in any conversation anywhere, it's always, uh, it's always a good thing. People like, uh, when they see you, sounds like you take time with them. You know, And that's something that's missing, too, right now in, in the medical world is time to listen and relate and help. Well, now you're raising a whole another issue, and that is I give my time, but I also charge the hell out of them to do that. So I have a concierge practice, and yes. So yes. to be able to spend a half hour with a person or an hour, I gotta charge them more. There's no way around it. Yeah. There's lots of different concierge practices, but uh, mine, I think, has really evolved into that, listen, I, I can't help you unless I know you. And I think you're going to trust me more if you know me. And if I know that you've got a cat named Maurice or that your um, brother-in-law has been sleeping around with the mailman and we've been taking this story back and forth, that enables me to have, I think, more of an impact on your life. Why take, as I tell people on the radio show, I'm a stranger to you. Listen to me. You should listen to me. You should go and do your own independent research. Uh, Will the COVID virus last three weeks? Over the last 13, 18 months, nobody knows. Did it come from some bat soup in Wuhan, or did it escape from a viral lab? Uh, we're not going to know years. But don't don't trust me any more than you trust the nightly news. I love what the great uh, poet and philosopher Denzel Washington said: "If you don't read the papers, you're uninformed. If you read the papers, you're misinformed." <laughs> Well, that and yet there's another topic too: is uh, information, how it gets out. Who's well, look at the look, look at the information in your own nutritional school. And I hate to say this, uh, I took nutrition classes at Cornell, uh, but I did poorly in them. I add, 
but um, the whole nutritional curriculum in America is tightly controlled by one organization with an agenda. And I won't, go, you know, it, people start thinking, oh, he's going to talk about the Illuminati. And, but it's, the information is out there. All you have to do is research the Kellogg family, and you'll see the night of all nutritional training in America since that time. Uh, you, for further evidence, look at the case of the uh, Tasmanian surgeon, uh, I think, what's his name, Gary Fatke, or the guy in uh, South America, Tim Noakes. These are doctors that were, that were censured for giving nutritional advice, for right. having the, uh, crazy, the crazy idea of telling diabetics, you know, you'd probably be healthier cutting out the sugar. And for that, they were censored by the nutritional councils. And the, that's what uh, this whole story, going back to the Kellogg Foundation, it's quite, quite scary when you get into it. Interesting. You've got me curious, so I'll be looking that up. But, yeah, I mean, the program that I went through up at SU, um, I mean, I learned things, there's no doubt, but I'm not sure what I learned, you know, how much of that really applies to. Well, let's see what you learned. What did you have for dinner last night? Last night, you don't want to know what I had for dinner. Last night was a big cheat night. <laughs> so what'd you have? Chicken wings. Oh, my God. Really? Yeah. How can you, in good conscience, gnaw those little tendons oh, off them? Yeah, How yeah. do you do that? I might have to edit this out. No, I won't do that. Um, no, I had, I, I don't know, what, twice a year or something? And last night, it hit. I did it. But you know what I have been doing lately? I, I uh, have this app. And um, actually, I've done this on and off for a while. But I reloaded the app here a little while back. It's called Inflammation Tracker. It's... Uh, that one inflammation tracker and uh -huh. so it's not the greatest app in the world but what i like is when you put a food in there like i'll, I'll show you this is kind of interesting uh, you put in chicken let's say the, f the first thing it's going to give you is and i don't know why it's going to tell you applebee's chicken tenders okay well here you go Applebee's chicken tenders are so inflammatory that they fall into the reddest of the red on the rating scale. So wow. anything under less than zero is inflammatory. So what I started doing was uh, um, on and off here and just recently after the hip surgery, I don't know. I, th I don't know if anesthesia mess messed me up or what but man i've never been under before so this was the first for me except for yeah not totally under vascular surgery yeah i was under but i was also awake enough that i could i knew what's going on a little bit uh i was completely whacked out my taste buds changed after all the blood clotting last year after the anesthesia from the uh, hip replacement taste changed a lot again but i also was extremely achy all the time everywhere and not just my hip, which hurt like crazy for two weeks, but now it's amazing. I went on there and I started eating things that are anti-inflammatory. I had to remind myself, what is anti-inflammatory? Because I didn't remember from school, and they actually didn't really teach that in school. They taught about eating portions of carbs and healthy fats, and uh, healthy carbs, healthy fats, healthy chicken, but healthy is uh, subjective to certain entities. <laughs> You know, you know, if you're gonna eat chicken, where did it come from? Was it a uh, what do they call those? Uh, there's there's a 
really cool, funny website, but it's serious called the Metrix. And it's about industrial corporate farming. It's, it's a takeoff on the Matrix. So the cow plays the part of um, uh, Lawrence Fishburne, whatever his role is in that movie, and, and so on and so forth. And it talks about, uh, we didn't learn much about that up there in that program. You know, Cheerios were still a good thing. Well, Cheerios still are a good thing to the vast majority of Americans. And I, 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 I don't go down the aisle for Cheerios, or I would weep. Because look at this, the Count Chocula, the, um, what's the ones with the little uh, unicorn on it? Not unicorn, uh, the little um, uh, Irish leprechaun, Lucky Charms. Yeah. I mean, oh my God, there's nothing healthy about that. And, I'm, and again, uh, when I tell people that I'm not a big fan of dairy, in particular milk, even though I live a mile in the Burn Dairy corporate headquarters, I'm not telling them to stop making milk. I'm suggesting export it, export the milk because American children shouldn't be drinking milk. And then people go, well, what do you know? And I'm, I'm not, this is not me speaking. I'm channeling the experts. T. Colin Campbell at Cornell, Dr. Esselstyn at Cornell, Mark Hyman at Cleveland Clinic, uh, Dr. Doshi, the former head of pediatrics at Johns Hopkins, and most of all, Walter Willett, the most cited nutritionist at Harvard, who mm. just published another article against milk a month ago in the Journal of Medicine, if I'm not mistaken, but I know it's in a major um, magazine, medical journal. Uh, milk has way too much protein. It's way too inflammatory. I'd be interested to see how whole milk weighed in on your inflammatory meter. I'm going to have to get the app and download it and check it out. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. No, milk is going to show up as inflammatory for sure. Uh, I don't drink milk. I haven't drank it in years. Uh, well, I, it's another thing I challenge people. Listen, if you want to feel better, you don't have to wait for your cholesterol numbers to come back. You don't have to, to um, trust anything I say. You don't have to trust the lab value. You will tell me in one month off of milk if you feel better, yes or no. And so far, no one has come back and said it didn't make a difference uh, or I felt better drinking milk. They all come back saying, you know, I love milk. I don't like not drinking milk. but I do feel better. My yeah. bowels are better. My sinuses are better. Okay. Uh, I have less indigestion. Uh, I've never had a person yet that said um, that that they felt better with a heavy diet. Yeah, yeah, I, I believe that 100%. Interesting. Um, yeah, so this this has been a good app for me. And just, you know, Trying to get quality foods. If I had salmon recently. I haven't had salmon in years, and it was really nice. And I, that's highly anti-inflammatory. Uh, typically, I don't eat much fish because I think it's gross, but that's a psychological problem I have to get over. <laughs> no, Carl, I'm, I'm completely with you there. When it comes to fish, I don't like where they've been. I don't like who they're hanging out with. I don't like the smell or the taste. I don't like the scales on the outside. I don't like the bones on the inside. I don't like the whole concept of catching fish. I don't like anything about it. Yeah. But I'll tell you this. This is another important point. Uh, and, and a part of what I think every mantra's practice has to be. And that is, first you look at the plate. Is there everything you need on the plate? And the second is, like we talked about, you're a big bag of, of biochemical reactions. Are they righteous? Are the omega-3s and 6 good? And 
if you're eating fried foods, you're getting a lot of sixes. And if you don't eat fish, you're not getting enough of the threes. <laughs> so I recommend to my patients who want to optimize their health that they spend the extra money, have blood work done to look just at that. And you can have that measured. And when I measured mine, I was aghast at how low those chemicals were, the oh, EPA and the DHA that are important in the brain. So mm -hmm. that's why I do cod liver oil now. And I highly recommend that people that don't eat fish do something fishy because it's the fish is brain food. And unless you check your numbers, which even your regular uh, doctor can do now using uh, Quest Labs, which is a nationwide company, your doctor can measure your omega-3 and your omega-6. And I guarantee you, since you had a bleeding problem, a coagulation problem, your numbers are off. Go get a check. Oh, you know, and that's the question I, I wanted to ask you, but I, I actually really didn't want to talk about me in my interview with you, because this is about you, but not me. But I also know I could speak for many other people who are on Coumadin, which is what I'm told is the best thing for me to take because of my uh, anti-lupus anticoagulant syndrome, which is apparently somewhat rare. I don't really know. But um, either that or heparin shots in the belly. But I was also wondering, what about what I'm eating? And I haven't, I haven't found anything. Do you have any advice for people who are in my situation? Uh, typically, I think the people that have uh, a coagulation problem have a problem with, with the nutritional status. And I think you've got to go to the doctor and get your omega-3 uh, omega and 6 measured. You've got to get your vitamin C measured. You've got to get your vitamin A measured. You've got to get your vitamin E measured. And in particular, when we're talking about, you know, this corona calamity we're dealing with, I think that, and I'm not a, I was not a huge believer in supplements, but now that I've had a better grounding in the history of modern nutrition, uh, the history of modern agriculture, uh, agricultural practices, and that I believe that if you want to optimize your health, you're going to have to take some supplements. And I think especially when you're dealing with viral illnesses, not so much treatment as prevention, you've got to get the vitamin C up to at least two grams a day. You've got to get your vitamin D up, which is probably more of a hormone than a vitamin. And your regular doctor will say vitamin D, anything between 30 and 100 is good. So you can have a 31 or a 32, and the doctor stamps normal on that, and your chart goes to the next person. No, no. That's not able. You've got to get your vitamin D 70, 80, or 100. That's a vitamin D that prevents infections in many circumstances. Uh, this is something that Dr. Gundry is talking about, Dr. Murko. Uh, I'm not saying that this is a guaranteed sick, but I'm saying if you care about your health, especially if you have concerns about heart disease, you've got to pay attention to your vitamin D, your vitamin C, and your magnesium. Okay, um, and you went right into the next question I had, um, but I'll, I'll just tag on to that. Do you have any recommendations on where or what supplements, where, where do we get these things? Because they talk about, you know, if you get certain ones, they might not really be good quality. They won't assimilate in the body, even if you take them with food. Do you have recommendations on uh, where to get them or what to get? No, I just think... You got to be very. I wouldn't buy anything honestly that wasn't uh, that came out of India or China. Okay. So that, I just don't think those products. There's plenty of big companies like Metagenics, Pharmanex that sell uh, third-party evaluated 
quality controlled supplements. But the beauty of it is nowadays, you don't have to guess. If you take a vitamin D supplement, get your vitamin D level measured. If you take a, a vitamin E preparation, you can have your vitamin E levels measured. It's uh, much easier now. And there's a huge amount of uh, fraud and abuse in the supplement world. The consumer's lab thinks that a third of all supplements are either don't have with the product in it or have other things in it. I, I don't, it, no matter how nice the label looks, doesn't mean anything. But you can take your product and get it tested. You don't have to have it chemically tested. You take it and then see if the readings are right. Yeah, yeah. Great information there. Um, well, I love, this has been really, really great. I, I just have one more question, um, maybe two at the most. Let's talk about COVID for just a moment. We've talked, touched on it just a little bit, mentioning it. Um, any thoughts on, uh, yeah, I mean, you gave a lot of answers actually just now with vitamin supplements, dietary, uh, getting your your chemical reactions right in your body to help fight off virus. Anything additional that you, you want to share about COVID? I believe that COVID gives us the opportunity, like never before, to try alternative therapies, and we're going to blow it. We have the option of saying, you know, there's a lot of talk about vitamin C being a life-saving supplement taken intravenously in the ICU. Vitamin C is cheap, and every hospital in, that has COVID patients could be easily doing an extremely simple test, uh, measuring the vitamin C, giving uh, 50 grams of vitamin C intravenously, which has zero toxicity, and measuring results. Mm -hmm. uh, that's an easy test to do. That won't be done. I just listened before uh, before this morning. I was listening to an article about uh, ozone therapy and how you can take some blood out of a person, treat that either with ultraviolet light or with an injection of ozone gas, reintroduce that into the body with dramatic results against far, far more pathogens. And yet, that will be done in America, and we're going to have. We're threatening, oh, my God, we're not going to have enough ventilators for grandma. You know, we're going to have to be having these um, National Guardsmen standing there and doing the breathing for them. Yet we're not going to take these uh, therapies that potentially could be life-saving that have been around forever with no known ties. They're going to be ignored because uh, there's no money to be made in them. Yeah, money. Then it would be exciting. But because these therapies are homegrown and that have been around for 50 years, in fact, Tesla uh, patented the first ozone generator, if I'm not mistaken. These have been around forever, and yet they'll be ignored. I think it's shameful. No kidding. Man. This, I tell you, you, first of all, you mentioned a lot of great books, uh, names of people who I can research them. So I'm, I'm a total geek. Like when I get a book, if it doesn't have a bibliography, I don't usually read it, but then I'll get it and then I'll check out the big, big bibliography and read a lot of that. So I, I, Then I can't tell you, if you're going to start researching it, the most important name of all, I think, is Ivor Cummings. Okay. Ivor Cummings, no G, C-U-M-M-I-N-S. Okay. Because Ivor talks about inflammation in the diet. He's an engineer, not a doctor. But uh, it's all about heart disease. It's all about chronic illness. And it's very easy to understand. He's got a great accent, so it makes it more enjoyable. Uh, and um, it's a wealth of easily digested information. And he interviews everybody.
Uh, Ivor Cummings is the man. Oh, I appreciate that a lot because a lot of my um, people who watch uh, my interviews, the uh, they'll be really interested in this. Very, very. And let me let me close with this, and you can't hear Ivor and not hear this. The most important test an adult can get of their health. The most important test an adult can get to their health is a calcium score of their heart. There is no other test that's as important. Uh, it's cheaper than a stress test. Often people have to pay for it. It's a CAT scan of the heart that can show heart disease decades before it's, they're aware of it. Decades before, so they can do something about it. Change their diet, change their health. Beautiful. Thank you. My You're last welcome. question was going to be, do you have a takeaway message? You might have just given it. <laughs> if you have anything additional, you can add it. But that was, yeah. So the calcium, what's the name of it again? It's, it's called the Cardiac Calcium Score. Got it. Okay. And you can look it up on the internet. Look up the um, YouTube video. It's a documentary called uh, Widowmaker. Oh, okay. All right. And that, that tells the story right there. And it's the most important test people can get. But they're gonna, here's the awful sad thing. They're going to have to talk their doctor into it. Oh, right. Your doctor is used to doing stress tests, and he's going to say there's nothing wrong with you, and you're going to say, I'm concerned about hidden heart disease. This is the best test available. I've never ordered it before. I don't know how to order it. I don't know how to interpret it. You, I'll handle it, doctor. Just order me the test. Let me look at the results, and that's all I need. Beautiful. Wow, man. Well, I take your health on hands. If you trust your doctor, he's going to keep working on your illness. You've got to work, Carl, on your wellness. Well, I hear you on that. I, I appreciate that information and everything you shared. Thank you so much. Really appreciate you taking the time. And uh, hang on with me just for a minute. I'm going to say goodbye to, goodbye to our folks. Folks, I hope you enjoyed this. I know I did. And uh, I don't know. I needed, I needed to hear all this again. And hearing it from you, Dr. Berry, has been really helpful to me. You know, they say I was... The teacher appears when the students are ready or whatever that is. I've read a lot of this stuff. I heard about it. The other thing I know is as I start to gain an understanding, sometimes a certain book or, or a delivery of the information will help me to tie in a lot of other stuff and have a better understanding of what I've learned previously. That just happened for me. So thank you. And thank you. Great day. All right, my, my friend. So, uh, folks, thanks for watching. and. Um, Oh, have a fantastic day.